Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam. He's Andy. Andy, it's been a little while since we've sat down and, and talked, or at least in this format, um, probably two weeks. By the way, happy late Thanksgiving. Thank you, sir. I mean, it was as happy as it can be with the uh, tremendously heartbreaking Dallas Cowboys loss on national television that I had to sit through with my family. But it was rough. <laughs> for the most part, it was happy. Yeah, there was there was a lot of complaining on my side and somebody in the room was like they lost last week why are you freaking oh, out dude, my like, whole oh. family except for me is like the you know it's a game you're supposed to have fun why, why do you watch it if it's not fun except for me and i'm just like ready to you know go full monster energy drink kyle and like punch holes in the wall because Meanwhile, like, i'm like i'm whiteboarding and game theorying like all the ways that the eagles could pass us up in the division and oh dude trust me like this week like the the stat that if washington wins out they win the division got into my head like they mm. they, te they technically control their destiny and that oh. has just slowly eaten my brain i'm just like we have to beat these guys i will be so upset like i wish you had uh, not told me that i know dude someone has to share the pain with me Mm, well, yeah, tis the season, right? Just absolutely between dealing with all the holiday stuff and then the Cowboys imploding. It's just like a December tradition at this point. If you're if you want to hear more complaining about the Cowboys, tune into Boys Will Be Boys, uh, mediocre <laughs> Dallas Cowboys podcast. That I yeah, but it was nice to take a break from that to watch what is one of, I think, the best James Bond movies of all time. Yeah, this is not Boys Will Be Boys. This is, like I said, this is novel discourse. We're actually going to talk about writing, believe it or not, and not just average NFL teams. This is Casino Royale. This is the first Daniel Craig Bond film. And people were not sold that Daniel Craig was the guy for the job. Do you Long. know who Daniel Craig was when they announced he was James Bond? No. Me either. I mean, I've seen his stuff from before this movie after he was James Bond and he has right. done, he did some awesome stuff like layer cake is super awesome movie, but I had no clue who this dude was when they announced he was going to be James Bond. Yeah. And, and I grew up watching, obviously you've got like Roger Moore, you've got your know, Sean Connery. And then around when, when I was growing up, it was Pierce Brosnan it, who did a really good job as kind of the more the debonair stylish sort of snooping bond if you will that has like all the high-tech gadgets and cannot be phased. Yeah. and, and is like, like a 90, total super 90s bond like Very incredibly 90s, 90s. I, I always think the the scene for me of pierce brosnan bond that's like definitive is i think it's in tomorrow never dies where he has that ski chase scene where he's going down this mountain like killing all these guys on a pair of skis and also like alpine skiing at a double black diamond level and his hair stays perfect the whole time and that's very like pierce brosnan bond like he probably gets to the bottom of that mountain and like immediately houses a highball martini like that's kind of the the vibe it's very over the top and kind of campy, but like very, yeah. And they are super heavy on the gadgets in the night. But it, it gets movies. your blood pumping. And yeah, sure. as we as we've said before, the the mark of a of a great bond scene, especially a chase scene, is they have to be using a mode of transportation the opposite way of which it was intended. Like in uh Die Another Day when He's Tokyo drifting across the ice when there's a mega laser from outer space trying to shoot at him. I think that defines those movies is that like they take place in almost an alternate reality. The situations that Bond is dealing with are so outlandish that like they don't really seem close to home or like something that we'd really deal with. I always think of Tomorrow Never Dies where like this 
newspaper man effectively is like trying to start a nuclear shooting war between China and Britain so that he can yeah. like get the scoop, which is a crazy way to go about that in my opinion but when we get to the craig era like they they took that in a totally different direction where they tried to make each movie highly representative of something that was like a fear of society and like something that we could really kind of grip to right before we go off of the pierce brosnan thing i think the mark of that series of of films is that this is very typical of the 90s where the 90s wanted to be the 2000s so bad and the way oh, yeah. of being the 2000s was that they were just going to like futurize everything so yeah, like you said it's all everything tech. like yeah yeah they love really small well. things like every like it was a race to make things very tiny and so right. the idea of like a cell phone the size of like a quarter was really cool to them whereas like now we're like no you need screen real estate so you don't you know phones are now huge again right but and, and Brosnan did a really great job I think he is like in many ways just like very characteristic of bond to people especially people who grew up in our era for me though like man daniel craig turned out to be just such an incredible choice like when you go back and you watch the sean connery bond he has that kind of suave debonair attitude and he's very smooth but he does seem like he's a killer when he's sitting at a table with a bunch of bad guys kind of doing the james bond witty retort thing he it always does have an underlying vibe of like he would be totally capable of callously killing all these people he had right. like the kind of the shark eyes and Daniel Craig, they immediately establish him in this film as like, this is not some kind of like high class British aristocrat who's playing spy. This is a murderer who is wearing a tuxedo, which is a very different direction than Pierce Brosnan went with the role. Right. I, I had heard it said that, and this is referring to Spider-Man, is that, you know, Tobey Maguire was the best Peter Parker, but was the worst Spider-Man. Fair. And then... Andrew Garfield was the worst Peter Parker, but was a great Spider-Man. Yeah. And then Tom Holland is like kind of the mix of like being great at both. And that's to your point, Sean Connery was probably the best of both worlds. Pierce Brosnan Agreed. was kind of super good at the playing the room, wearing the tuxedo kind of, I, I use the, the snappy one line, all the catchphrases, like right. the... great at that stuff. And then Daniel Craig is kind of more of the bulldog in the tuxedo who's kind of more the assassin style. And, and you know, we hadn't seen that. It's it's a totally different twist. And they let you know early on that this the is first not scene. like another, the first scene. It, I love the first scene. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, so the first scene of this film is, it's shot in black and white and the, the use of a bunch of very interesting cinematography, a bunch of Dutch angles, et cetera. And it cuts back and forth between uh, James Bond, uh encountering a target that he's been sent to eliminate in his office kind of the classic like dude walks into his office turns on a light bond sitting there with a gun in the chair mm -hmm. and then the guy basically tells bond he's not worried because if they wanted to kill me they'd send a double o and you're not a double o because you got to kill somebody to be a double o and this is split with this incredibly gritty kind of guerrilla style shot scene very chaotic shaky camera of James Bond with his bare hands beating a man almost to death and then drowning him in a public bathroom sink. And mm -hmm. it's such a departure from, and Bond's like getting, he's getting fucked up too. Like he's taking shots, he's bleeding, he's hurt. And so you, you go from like the last memory we had of Bond, which is kind of the Pierce Brosnan, like I said, like does this ski chase, not a hair out of place. 
to this bond who's like up close and personal to a kill and we see it kind of even the emo immediate emotional impact of of it and by the time i don't know what the time is between these two scenes we're seeing at the same time but enough has passed to where bond in the chair with the gun has adopted this total stone-faced demeanor of just like i am now capable of taking a life and i have made peace with that and then he just right. blows a dude away and it goes into the opening theme and it's yeah. so awesome and the opening is so great how you know historically they have the classic double o scene where it's like the scope that's moving around the camera and then eventually it centers and then bond walks into the scope and then turns and shoots and then the red kind of blood comes down the screen how in this version of the film Bond is actually bending down to pick up a gun. It, it shows the guy you thought was dead. You know, the guy he you thought drowned in the sink, take a shot at Bond and then Bond turns around and shoots him and how they incorporate that. I don't yeah. think that's ever been done in a Bond film. I could be wrong. Dude, and I'll say this. I think the the theme to Casino Royale, which was done by the late Chris Cornell. Um, Slaps. One of the best Bond themes ever. It's like a legitimately good song. Yeah. Um, and it also has like Casino and like, it has lyrics that tie into it, which a lot yeah. of Bond films do. But that it was it was great. They it's, did a great job. It's very good. Um, the first like five minutes of the movie, you are immediately drawn in, and you immediately understand that this that the tone of this movie is going to be a hundred percent different from really the last really the last two to three people that played James Bond, where it's just going to be like it's going to be more gritty. And you know what? The Born Identity came out in 04, and then uh, the sequel I, came out right after yeah. that. And I think that they probably got together and were like, yeah, let's make something a little bit closer to that. Because they saw the success of The Born Identity and were like, that's how we need to do this. Make it yeah, a little the more Born, realistic. The Born Identity, I think, changed action movies maybe permanently. Because the I think you can trace all the John Wicks, all these kind of like hyper realism gritty action movies where the hero's not kind of an invulnerable everyman like you go back and and probably you can trace those back to like die hard but in the 80s we had all these action movies where arnold schwarzenegger sylvester Stallone, are just this like walking terminator that just like mows down a billion faceless bad guys and now like die hard was kind of the first of this like every man who he gets really harmed <laughs> over the course of pulling off this hero job and then eventually the Bourne series and the new Bonds, you see like this guy is clearly more skilled than his adversaries, but it's not, mm -hmm. he's not so much more skilled or so much you know more powerful that he's invulnerable to harm. And I think that that adds, a, that adds stakes to, because Pierce Brosnan, you never worried he was going to take a bullet, like even, even a flesh wound to the arm or something. I don't think that ever happened. Whereas Craig was just like constantly getting like, thrown off a building like you know getting hit by a car like all kinds of stuff and they jump kind of immediately into this with and dude you can tell it's like early 2000s because we had to have a parkour scene we were like really into parkour for a good like five it's a great years. parkour scene though it's it's amazing cinematography and it's bond chasing this bomb maker um i can't remember what country they're in they're in some, madagascar like, yeah they're in madagascar and he's he's they're at like a, a mongoose versus cobra fight which that's kind of like the coolest idea I've ever had in my life of like, you're on an exotic vacation and you're at like a Cobra versus mongoose fight betting with all the locals. They get made. Bond has to chase this guy down. He's like, They're put doing... your hand down when that yeah. guy's in the crowd. Oh, he's got his, so yeah, great. he's got the earpiece. He chased, they, they end up in this construction site. They're climbing this crane. They're doing this crazy, like kind of like close quarters combat. He chases the guy all the way to the embassy 
and finally grabs him. And in yet another moment that I think they were like very intent on being like, this is not the bond that you are familiar with. He just cold executes this guy in front of in front of the embassy, in front of all the cameras, just puts one in the base of his skull and is just like, I'll deal with it. Like whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, going back to that, this the comparison to to Bourne and to Wick and stuff, you got me thinking secret agents. This is a very specific kind of archetype trope if you will and you know john wick and i think he falls more and more in line of like the equalizer and that is yeah. kind of the seven samurai ronin Agreed. lone lone gunman rolls into town he's like a anti-hero who is wildly skilled beyond belief and usually there's a side character who's the real main character who pretty much is like under their wing the whole time yeah and it's just like spends the entire movie and all about how many you know basically how many people they can kill whereas i think that this version of james bond and then you know kind of like the jason Bourne character is more of a fallen hero that is very capable can protect himself but if three guys walk in a room with crowbars that's a big threat right yeah and they do a great job in this film of it'll just be like him versus one person and he'll barely get out alive or like there are scenes which we'll talk about where he gets poisoned and he almost dies and somebody has to help him. And I yeah. think that's part of this being, this is a, this being a origin story and not like the final product. This is not the final product of James Bond. It was necessary that they showed him as not a perfect agent yet. He's yeah. He has a lot of screw ups throughout this movie that either nearly cost him the mission or nearly cost him his life. And there's no deus ex machina in this version of Bond. There were so many times in the Pierce Brosnan movies where it was like they would set up a situation where this particular gadget that Q had given him would like perfectly get him right. out of the, whatever the scenario was. And this Bond really went back to the original novels by Ian Fleming, which had a couple like kind of secret communicator watch type gadgets, but nothing to the order of like Pierce Brosnan was rolling out there with like the straight bat belt. Like he had like 30 gadgets. His car was a tank. It could turn invisible. I think that the only, the only uh, actual gadgets I really remember being in this movie are like the Aston Martin has a defibrillator in the, in the passenger seat. Right. That's, that's kind of it. Other, other than that, it's like, dude, he wears a normal watch, which they were very, proud to make a product placement omega bought this yeah. spot and then he, well, he, he, omega it's an omega he goes it's an omega, omega which is the most like that's such a british like it's actually pronounced jaguar like no it's yeah. not all right dude like he might but, have looked at the camera and winked oh yeah for sure you know what no talk no lie though my my father went out and bought an omega speedmaster after this movie came out it's like the his watch right like the one expensive watch he owns and i dude, it is an awesome watch like it's super dope but well my dad went out and bought an aston martin after this movie so no, your dad's way tighter than mine <laughs> but uh so we have this kind of oh and the other thing i wanted to mention is this movie really wanted to create a total bond universe not necessarily of marvel but like bcu Every every single Bond movie in the 90s that had uh, Pierce Brosnan could effectively be viewed by itself. Like, none of them were really connected. They were all kind of episodic. In this one, they start to introduce characters and organizations and concepts that will be echoed in the later Craig Bond films. 
um, to varying degrees of success. Speaking personally, as someone who I do think I'll say right now, I think Casino Royale is the is a perfect Bond movie. Like to, for my taste, it is perfect. Um, I thought like when they kind of coalesced everything in Spectre, which I was very excited for because Christoph Waltz is incredible. He was kind of coming off the, the Django and the um, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards high. Um, I thought that movie was a pretty big letdown. But we got Skyfall, by far the most is, forgettable Bond film in the last 35 years. I Yeah, far. it's either Spectre or uh, Quantum of Solace, which is also incredibly meh, like yeah. could not care but less. Skyfall but was awesome. we got this in Skyfall and Skyfall is another one where you're seeing pieces of Bond that we never I mean, in the old Bonds, it was like taboo for Bond to even like have a girlfriend, like the idea of Bond having any personal connection to anyone outside right. of if he's like, not a, a complete womanizer. Like, is this really Bond? Yeah, and like by Skyfall, we're like seeing where Bond was raised and like we're getting into his past. Like it's so deep. And even in this movie, they start to show you that like Bond is afraid to let people get close to him because of the violence that he's done, the violence that exists around him, the impact that violence has on him. And those are all kind of alien concepts to an audience that was probably pretty used to Bond, just like you said, just kind of like sipping a martini and being like, that was tight and moving on to the next adventure. But I thought this was pulled off incredibly well. The scene that speaks to me early on, because again, they very tastefully peppered the first hour of the film with subtle nods like, hey, this is not the Bond film that, you know, you were probably thinking it's going to be. This is not Pierce Brosnan is when he's in the Bahamas and or maybe it's maybe it's Miami. Remind me where they're at in the. It's a little bit confusing because they're in the Bahamas at one point, and then they, they, so they go to that. You're talking about when he like rolls up the hotel and steals dude's Range Rover and everything. Yeah, that that that's scene. that's in the Bahamas where he wins the Acid Martin in the poker game. Yeah, then he pursues Demetrios to Miami, and that Got is it. where they kind of. I think there was probably, and I I this is just me totally guessing. My guess is they had a, more scenes of him like traveling between those two locations but it was just like cut for time and so yeah he literally just like is in the bahamas and then they cut to and it says miami international airport and he's in a cab so like yeah it's they, a little bit confusing because both scenes take place at night so yeah it shows and they're like very similar the, like miami yeah. is so interchangeable with like many locations the, the, the resort bahamas that he's at that, in the bahamas very easily could have been like uh one of those resorts like just south of miami towards the key largo or whatever anyways yep. uh so, but going back to what I was saying is that scene where he's basically trying to figure out intel about where this bomb maker came from, originated from, and he's with the lady whose name is escaping me, and he's basically about to, like, make love to this terrorist wife, right? But then yeah. he figures out where he's going, and then he just dips, as opposed to sleeping with her, which is kind of indicative of this. Again, this is not the James Bond you're used to. James, the James Bond you're used to would fall for the woman and then it's probably the reason that he would get in trouble later or yeah it would be to the detriment of the mission whereas this younger james bond is like no i've got a job to do and then runs off which i thought was which i thought was great because they didn't yeah, they didn't agreed. need to have her in the movie at all no other, and, other than that and then they go they take it one step further in that they kill her so they show her she's been she gets killed for effectively like giving up some intel to bond that allows him to pursue demetrios right. to miami and that's the first time that you see Bond realize that, like, anyone I touch, I live in such a dangerous world. I operate at such a dangerous level that anyone that I get close to or allow into my even orbit is in mortal danger immediately. And that obviously becomes, you know, an even Huge bigger piece of the equation. Yeah. It's one of about four foreshadows that take place throughout the film. 
that let you know, you know, Bond's going to be betrayed later by a girl he loves mm-hmm. that I I did not catch. I did no, not I think catch, they're done I, very, I, not, I think they're done tastefully. They're very subtle. I did not catch it when I first watched the film. I actually did not catch it earlier this week when I rewatched it because when I was rewatching it, there's the casino scene and then, you know, the scene where he gets tortured. I remembered all of this. And then when um, the main baddie, what's his name? The Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre gets, gets got. And then, and then it starts to kind of have these unwinding scenes, like the movie's over. And I forgot that that was the end. And I, and I realized I was an hour and 45 minutes in the film. And I thought, isn't there a scene where like there's a tower collapsing and there's like an elevator shaft? And I was like, no, maybe that's a different movie. So point being is like, even after seeing this movie before, even after it's been spoon fed to me several times that like when M is like, why did they let you live? I wonder yeah. why they let you live. Yeah. I still did not catch that. And so it was done well from a writing perspective. I'm just a moron. So I don't take any points off. That. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And then, so they uh, ultimately bond ends up in Miami where he thwarts this terrorist attack that is designed to, they're going to blow up this brand new Airbus model that's supposed to be rolled out as this giant like four-story plane that they're going to launch from Miami International for the first time. This dude's going to blow it up. Bond ends up uh, getting like into a tangle with the bomber, ends up clipping the bomb to the dude, which is such a great scene where you keep seeing it blinking and you think it's on the truck and then Bond turns around and the guy like, he suddenly keeps hearing the beeping and he's like, feeling all over his belt and it's clipped to his back belt loop and he explodes super awesome great and like just enough kind of like finesse to be a very right. bond play but also again like damn dude this dude just got like blown to pieces that's pretty crazy and it all kind of culminates in this thing where they're like okay the person who's kind of like financing and sending all these attacks out which are they kind of catch on to that these are not just bombings for the sake of like political message or terror these are financially motivated crimes. Like someone took a huge short position out against Airbus. These guys wanted to blow this plane up. That would have sent the stock tumbling, make a ton of money. And that is Le Chiffre, who is this painfully French villain who cries tears of blood. And his like thing is that he plays incredibly high stakes poker. And we learned in the Bahamas that Bond is like an incredibly skilled poker player. Like he can read people like super duper well. Uh, to the point where he takes dudes Aston Martin and his wife the same night just based on his prowess at poker, kind of, which is yeah, amazing. I mean, I think every male from age like 12 to 99 watched that and was like, this guy's the coolest human being that's ever existed, like, for right. sure. Um, Let, let's take a, step, take a step back and talk about Le Chiffre for a second, or however yeah. you say it, because he's Bond villains like you know them when you see them they've been done so many times they've been I mean Dr. Evil so was times. kind of like the ultimate send up of a bond villain right like But Dr. Evil was not even that far like obviously his lines were and like his the some of the his goals were but Dr. Evil if you made him a little bit more like serious really would not be that far off from like a bond villain in terms of like oh, for sure being larger than life but there's a reason that people joke about Oh, he's a real life Bond villain, right? You got to have like your megalomaniacal streak and then your weird quirk. So like, I like everything in gold. I have teeth that can bite through steel. I cry tears of blood. (laughs) Like, which is a real, a real medical condition. I looked that up the other day. Cool. It's called like, 
Hemo something because Hemo is that's like awesome, blood. dude. Like they even in that they wanted to have this weird thing, but they also grounded it in something that they could reach towards. And be like this could be real. Like you could yeah. have this occur. And you know what I liked about him more so than other Bond villains? We were talking about the Pierce Brosnan '90s ones that are pretty much like, yeah, I want to blow up the Earth, and like that was their goal. Oh, yeah. And it and when the stakes are that high, it makes it un it just makes it completely unrealistic. And you you're just sit there going. Well, he's not going to win. Yeah, I mean, they're not going right? to blow the like, world up. Like, whereas, like this, this stakes is like, oh yeah, this guy is trying to win a hundred million dollars so that he can get back into terrorism, and we have to yeah, stop like, him. Yeah, that could for sure that, happen. Like, that could for sure happen. So, love that his goals as a Bond villain were like realistic. It made it so yeah. much better to watch. And and Bond's uh Bond's foiling of this terrorist attack has put Le Chief in in a bad position because he's now like he owes all this money to all these really bad dudes uh and so he has decided that in order to recoup recoup his uh all the money of his clients that he lost he's gonna have this which this is a true bond villain move dude like this is like only a bond villain comes up with this plan he's gonna have this like invite only ridiculously high stakes texas hold'em poker tournament in a private casino in montenegro which is so tight like perfect location like you got to go monaco or montenegro like micro nation that effectively is a casino with a neighborhood around it and that's kind of <laughs> it everyone is rich <laughs> like they don't even let you into these countries if you don't drive a lambo mi6 manages to get bond into this thing and they're basically like your mission is to beat this guy at poker which is amazing <laughs> like it's incredible and it, that sounds hilarious to say, but when you're watching this movie, you're like, this kicks ass. Like, yes, Bond can do this shit. Yeah, if you were pitching this story, okay, this the, this secret agent uh, is, you know, chasing this bad guy down, and then the only, he realizes the only way he can beat him is to beat him in a poker tournament. That sounds like, it sounds like a comedy. Yeah, absolutely. And like... But it's done, they, it's done so tastefully. And it's done you, to the point... Can you imagine you, if they were like, Okay, we know where Osama bin Laden is, but he's at a bowling tournament. We need you to go in there, SEAL Team 6, and you need to hit 10 strikes in a row. And once he's been defeated, then we can arrest him. Like, But it works. It works really well. It does. It, but let me... I'll preface it by saying the poker itself is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. every Every single hand is bonkers. There's zero... Any I've seen uh YouTube videos where they like real poker players break down the poker played in this movie, and they're like every one of these people would have no idea what they're doing, which actually to a degree is sort of accurate because like there are these like well-known uh, a movie came out a couple years ago called Molly's Game, which was kind of the true life story of these very high-stakes private poker games that are played among like celebrities and rich guys. And some of those games are like that, where it's just like dudes with more money than sense that don't really know how to play poker. And so, you know, this isn't the World Series of Poker. This is just right. people sketchy enough to be invited by Le And I'm sure Le Chiffre is not going to invite, you know, Chris Moneymaker to come play at this table with him. He's going to invite people that he thinks he can take this money off of. So that kind of makes sense. But yeah, like every hand is a just bonkers all in affair of like, staring people down and like trying to like it's great it's awesome well these they're winning on like they'll have a horrible hand after you know after the flop and then like they'll have nothing and then they'll go all in and they'll get the the only two cards they could possibly get yeah on the turn in the river 
every no single one, time. No one in this movie is like gets two sevens and then gets a third seven on the flop and just rides a you know rides three of a kind to a win. None of those hands right, exist right. in this like, world. Real real poker is like, oh yeah, I had two fours like king high and they had nothing and they were bluffing or like yeah <laughs> oh i was bluffing the whole time and this guy folded you know on the turn like everyone at the table except for bond and le chiffre are total square fish that just fold out every hand basically just feed them money like they don't ever compete on any real level um the other character the other two characters that are kind of key to this are mi6 sends uh, a British treasury agent along with him. She's in charge of like the buy money, Vesper Lind. We are kind of made aware that the famous James Bond drink that he always drinks, a uh, dry vodka martini shaken, not stirred, which he calls the Vesper. He It's named, they kind of reverse engineered that because Bond called that drink a Vesper before in other movies. And so they had to name this chick <laughs> Vesper, which is a terrible name for a person, but yeah, it works. She, is she, that in the book? Done, yeah. Okay. Um, and then... Also introduced here is Felix Later, who is uh, a recurring character in like many James Bond movies and books. He's kind of like the only American that James Bond <laughs> ever really interacts with. He's a CIA agent, played here by that guy from uh, from Westworld, Westworld, who I love. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. awesome. So um, they're both at the table. Felix Later, though, also just another like <laughs> total scrub at poker. You talk about waxed. there being no Deuce du Machina in this movie, but when when like his only role in the movie is like james bond fails his mission and the guy's like don't worry i got you and then gets yeah, him back yeah. into the tournament you so there, there's a the, little bit of that you gotta love that the americans role in this whole thing is just to like be like throw money at the problem boys like that's yeah. it's like hey you know they what? even they acknowledge that when he's like hey do you want the winnings and he's like do you think we need money yeah exactly that's awesome um yeah. and so bond does uh it, it kind of you kind of have this whole chamber drama of this tit for tat between Le Chief and Bond. Bond thinks that he figures out uh Le Chief's tell, but that's kind of like a it's a, a little bit of a feint. And Bond gets cleaned out at one point because he got gets the tell wrong. Lighter agrees to stake Bond enough to play again uh on the condition that when they uh arrest Le Chief, they'll turn him over into American custody and not British custody, which not sure if Bond has the authority to do that, but I guess he just really wanted to play poker. He's just like a gambling addict. He's like, sure, yeah, sure, yeah. whatever, bro. Like, yeah. give, give me five million dollars. Yeah, like, as, as if like, as if British intelligence couldn't afford five million bucks. Well, I guess they that, did turn him down. Yeah, it, well, and because uh, I think that they sent Vesper with like ten million in buy-in, and then she's got an extra five in case, but she thinks he's like playing reckless and like doesn't want. So she she refuses him. Five million, which, which they use that. Like, they go. actually use that really intelligently when there's a bit of author speak where Vesper was like, "You're reckless. You play with your ego. Yeah, you don't think yeah. about others. You're a womanizer. You drive cars too fast. Not not yeah. quite that detailed, but she basically just lists all of the James Bond weaknesses that are going to play into like not only the rest of the movie but every movie after this. It is rad. So this culminates in uh, one is. Uh, Le Chief poisons James Bond, which you alluded to earlier. He poisons Bond's martini, so he has to go out to, again, using the only real gadgets in this film, the Aston Martin comes with a defibrillator, and I guess it it's they, they describe it as just an antidote, 
it's like it's, adrenaline or something as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I was always, name. even as a kid, I was kind of like, they had the antidote to this specific poison in this car. Like, I guess yeah. it's just kind of like a general, like antiviral of some kind that like allows your system to push it out or something. It worked. It was fine. And so, which, dude, I'll pause here and say that the Aston Martin, I, I love the classic Aston Martin that they use, the 1960s Aston Martin, which they ended up using for a, for a lot of the Craig movies. But this DBS, the V12 DBS they use for this movie is so nasty. Like, it is a gorgeous vehicle. So, yeah, he gets the defibrillator. He gets the antidote. He comes back in. This kind of culminates in this one – of course it culminates in this one hand where they have – I think it's like $150 million on the table all in, which is like just enough for Le Chiffre to pay off all his dudes. And Bond gets a straight flush. And again, uh, he hits on the turn and the river. He needs. Yeah, he needs. It's like it's he needs not a, a good four it's of not spades good at playing and like poker, a six dude. of spades. And he gets, like Bond isn't good at playing poker. <laughs> he's just the a, luckiest person. And the luck is like throughout the entire movie, like which we yeah. just kind of talked about with like the, the Vesper showing up at the last second with the to help him with the defibrillator. It's just like whatever. I mean, you kind of have to suspend disbelief a little bit. It's a James Bond film. It's not which it's kind of an interesting dichotomy because you go from this setting of like this very opulent setting everyone's dressed in tuxedos he's kind of winning via luck it's very like old bond immediately to le chiffre kidnaps vesper uses her to lure in and trap bond and then bond is tied to this wooden chair with the bottom cut out and they're whipping this like knotted up like sailor's rope underneath the uh the chair just to like hit him in the nuts over and over again it is a painful scene to watch dude and bond to his credit he's clearly dying but is also like laughing in dude's face talking shit the whole time which is definitely the way to go out do you think like, that if they pitched this brosnan on a scene where james bond is tied naked to a chair and ball torture is done do you think he was down or do you think that was not in his in his contract he's like it would have been a james it would have been a massive turn in the script right yeah that wouldn't have fit in most bond movies i gotta be honest with you for sure it's the most unrealistic thing in a Bond film that he wouldn't get just tapped once and just wouldn't immediately blurt out the password. Like, yeah, guys watching that film. I, I remember watching that scene in the movie theater and just the moans and groans in the movie. In the dude, all the twi theater. twitches. You're just watching dudes oh. twitch in their chairs, dude, because it's painful. So he's like going, he's going. They're doing this. Bond's refusing. And then this character that we come to know as Mr. White busts in, kills LeChief as punishment for the basically Le not paying, just couldn't yeah. get the money in time like he just his his loan came due and so mr white is just like yeah you and vesper are good and so we kind of have this false ending like you think this is kind of this is kind of a head fake it got me um, man yeah he wakes up in a in a hospital he kind of recovers and bond and vesper are going to sail away together bond is literally we see him writing his resignation letter to mi6 they're in Venice. They're getting ready to like sail off on a boat. And then he gets a call from M that reveals that the money never showed up into the MI6 books and Vesper has betrayed Bond. And so you, it suddenly kind of dawns on you that she has been on the other team the whole time. Like yeah. kind of playing both sides because she like she did actually fall in love with Bond. And so she kind of sacrificed herself to like save Bond a little bit. But she was yeah, playing like, him at the beginning, but then actually fell in love with him and then it was basically she played the course. role that like bond like normally is assigned to a man many times is like you know i was supposed to you know at the beginning it was all a farce but then i really did fall in love with you like that's not really like that's typically the, a, a male role yeah. um and so they kind of reverse that very how to lose a guy in 10 days 
Absolutely. Uh, Bond is cha- like chasing these guys that are going to like kill Vesper to try to like get the money to save her. She ends up locked in this elevator in Venice as a bunch of these buildings are like sinking into the canal. And they have this just really horrible emotional goodbye where she's in an elevator that's filling up with water and he's desperately trying to get her out. Uh, and she she dies in front of him. Mr. White escapes with the money. There is a there is a final scene where uh, Le Chiffre is or not Le Chiffre, Mr. White is at his like badass house in Lake Como, and then yeah. he gets straight murked by James Bond, who then like stands over his body and introduces himself as Bond, James Bond, and then yeah. does this sweet pose in a three piece suit with a silenced MP5 over his shoulder, and you're like, yeah, now he's now he's the man. He's been now like, he's so been hardened Bond. by yeah. this whole experience. It's a it's I mean the end is great. Now again. Eventually, like Mr. White turns out to be part of Spectre. Like this whole thing turns into this like much larger conspiracy that slowly unravels. You know, I think you and I decided to do this episode because we have both just seen uh, No Time to Die, which is the end of the Daniel Craig saga. Going back and watching this movie after having seen how it ends, what were your what are your thoughts on kind of those bookends? Like I obviously seen there no was some slow. Part- oh, you haven't seen No Time to Die. No. Okay, I don't want to ruin too much for you then. Definitely check it out. Uh, it is, I think, a very fitting end to many of the themes and things that we've talked about as being great pieces of this film. Obviously, if we look at the entire Craig era, there are high points and low points, right? Quantum yeah. of Solace and Spectre were kind of letdowns. But I think 30 years from now, people will look back and say Casino Royale, Skyfall, and No Time to Die are all excellent James Bond movies. Um, yeah. It's awesome. And, and this really is a perfect origin story. Without, it is. They picked a great time frame. I think if you decided to do a James Bond origin story, it would have been really tempting to be like, okay, so he's an 18-year-old SAS paratrooper. You know, like start way too early and yeah. have to flash through a bunch of stuff. We we meet a very kind of like unsure Bond, like an almost – Bond's in the oven, but he's he 95% solidified. Bond yes, exactly. Um, and so he's still a little soft. Like there's pieces of bond you see in this film where like, he's not quite slick yet. He hasn't experienced all this stuff. And so the, if we view all bonds as like on the same continuum, the one we see as like Pierce Brosnan or Sean Connery has experienced what bond is experiencing in this film and is a product of those things. And I think that it was, especially for the world we live in now and i thought it was incredibly powerful to have a character as iconic as james bond show a much more human side not just to show the finished product of someone who can just shoot some guy in the head and keep keep it moving why is he capable of doing that and what what horrible traumas did he have to endure to get to that point i thought this movie did a tremendous job showing us that yeah it's kind of the it's what you want out of an origin story is you, you don't have to show how he got proficient. Kind of what you're saying about not showing him as a paratrooper or like in training and stuff, right? That is almost a little bit too much. Yeah. It's kind of the same complaint that people have about superhero movies doing too many origin stories. It's like, dude, I've already seen Uncle Ben die eight times. I was going to say, don't dude, spend if, I see, an hour if I see Thomas me... and Martha Wayne get shot in that alley one more time, I don't think I can right. handle it. But show me the going back to the Batman reference, like how in the Nolan, the the first Nolan film, how it shows his return to to Gotham. It shows yep. like his his original kind of dealings as Batman. That's the meat of the movie. That's the best part of the movie. That's kind of what this was extrapolated is it's 
Yeah. Look, James Bond is already is already a you know he's a 007. He, two minutes into the movie, he's a 007, right? And so it's just him getting experience under his belt, if you will. And and just like in the Nolan Batman, we see the first attempts at being Batman and what what the learning process was there, what experiences shaped him into ultimately being the Batman we're familiar with. Very similar pattern here, where we see like the first kill that James Bond does is not some you know pistol over the arm while you sip a martini with the other hand it's a very brutal personal kill and i think that that you know all these things shape him into the james bond and by the end and and again can't recommend no time to die enough but by the end of it you do kind of see him come full circle which i think is really cool is is vesper not like if you were creating an origin story for bond and you'd have to have a bond girl right i mean Mm -hmm. every bond girl need every bond movie needs a bond girl and I feel like if you were starting from scratch with that concept of like, what would this Bond girl be like? I think they did such a good job with where she fits in the story arc. It shows her originally meeting him wit for wit on the train. Yep. Like her, the way that the murders in the stairwell, when they get attacked by, it's like Mr. White's henchmen, essentially, yep. or like I go attack them and then them sitting together in the shower, kind of dealing with the emotional fallout of that, yeah. of that violence. And then the betrayal, like it all has a place in Bond's development. It's learning how to deal with the violence, learning how to deal with when you have to kill somebody. It's that sort of that wit that is kind of a trademark of of James Bond and like the one liners and being able to hold court, being able to do that with Vesper. And then also like being betrayed is probably the number one thing that and they 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 kind of discuss this a little bit in some of the other Craig films about how that shapes him into somebody that can't trust his love. Yeah, and his anymore. suddenly his like his iconic role as like a womanizer kind of makes more sense. Back in the day, that was just viewed as being really cool. But now if you saw someone who's like that age and still just like knocking out one night stands, you're kind of like, who hurt you? You know what I mean? Right. And and this answers that question. And I also think that one of the kind of hallmarks of a great Bond girl is that they're dangerous in some way. And most of the time that takes the the form of like, they also have a gun, maybe under their short dress like somewhere. Right. Um, Vesper is much more dangerous to Bond because she she's emotionally very dangerous to him because she he falls in love with her. And that makes her way, way more, more of a threat to Bond and his mission and his person than some chick who he's sleeping with that happens to have a knife under the pillow. Um, he lets her all the way in and it's all a ruse. And I think that's really powerful. And it, and it echoes through not only the Craig bonds, but then colors how you'll view all the other bonds afterward before him, which really incredible job to use the line that Mathis said when he was, when Mathis met Vesper, he said something to the effect of like, Oh, you're just an accountant but you're a lovely accountant that kind of thing and that's to your point it's like she wasn't dangerous in the the physical sense but she you know played a much deeper role in that for bond and like you said it's a very well done origin story it it's exciting it does a phenomenal job of using the tone especially early on to highlight the differences between what the franchise was before and what it's going to be in the future and then does such a subtly good job of like showing these major events and things that shaped bond as a person who he ends up being later down the road, the bond that we're more familiar with. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. And it was a huge success. Obviously they went on to have several more Craig bond movies. 
Um, I found this really interesting uh, as I was reading kind of about how this movie did. Obviously, it made a, a ton of money both in the box office and from product placements. This was a very prominent product placement movie because James Bond is so cool that like having him touch anything makes it cool. Right. Um, Ford, Heineken, Smirnoff, Omega, Virgin Atlantic, Sony Ericsson all got their place in this film. This I thought was really interesting. This movie debuted in China and set a record opening weekend for a non-Chinese film and in China at the time. Now, you and I are old enough to have watched kind of the Chinese movie market become this like powerhouse now where like movies go over there and double their their intake by right, you know. Did this movie set a record for opening week in China? And it, I want you to guess how much money this movie made. Was it a record at the time or record? Record at the time. No, no, it's not still standing. Well, I've already seen what the total box office was. The total box office was 616 million. So it's it's less than that. Uh, I'm going to say 30 million. 1.5 million dollars. You're kidding me. Bro, that is how crazy fast the Chinese movie market has grown. That's like record for opening week. Dude, that's a that's an abject failure for and it, and it opened on nearly 600 screens in China. Like this wasn't like they showed it in three theaters. Like this opened everywhere and just know that you know people just didn't go to movies then. And now they make that's a big insane. robot movie, make sure that the the dialogue is easily translatable, and they make a billion dollars. That's like what you'd expect, like Shanghai greater area to pull total. Oh yeah, I mean I would more. I'd be willing to bet that like. 1.5 million is probably like the opening weekend take for like a Star Wars movie at one big theater. It's crazy. So, well, so yeah, that is uh who, who's going to be the next Bond? That's an interesting or, question. Um I don't want to this is hard for me to de- how how this doesn't ruin anything about the movie, but it does reveal a detail about no time Yeah, to just die. do it, whatever. Listeners, if you yeah, do not spoilers. want any spoilers, Maybe Turn mute for the off. next minute and a half. And yeah. then, in no and then like to, and subscribe. Absolutely. In No Time to Die, James Bond is retired at the beginning of the movie. He has quit MI6, and they have replaced him in the 00 program with a new 007. And it is uh, a woman. I can't remember her name. She's a badass. He comes back in, and they give him back the 007 title. But they effectively are alluding to the fact that 007, at least, not the name James Bond, but the 007 title can be... Right. Given out. Right. Um, thereby kind of opening it up, right? Like, will they make a new James Bond or will they make a 007 is the the new question. Because they've right. now said, like, anyone can be 007 as long as they're, they kick ass. I know a couple of years ago, there was a lot of smoke around the idea of Idris Elba being James Bond. Um, he would do great. He would do great. He's a little old, I think, now. Yeah. That's my only... He's He's already 50. I think you need, like... Craig was like late thirties. I think that's a good, I guess it just totally depends on what bond story you want to tell. Like if it's older bond, Idris could do a great job. Um, and, and, and elephant in the room, it, you know, obviously these are based off the Ian Fleming novel where they describe what yeah. the person looks like and he's not black. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the original is James that, Bond is, is, a, is definitely a white guy, but the original James Bond also like slaps women and says racist stuff and, We've we've had Bond evolve a little bit, right? I I have heard a lot of smoke about uh, Tom Hardy being the next James Bond, and I think that would be an excellent choice, especially if you want to continue this kind of like gritty, you know, more physically dominant Bond. I think Tom Hardy does really well with physically demanding roles. 
I saw the other day that Tom Holland wants to play James Bond. No, which I, maybe I love he Tom will Holland. Look ve- maybe he will look very different when he gets older and he can like, I don't know, but I think that would be awful. <laughs> but I almost can't choose because like, again, like when they chose Daniel Craig, I was like, who's this guy? This is going to suck. Like Pierce Brosnan's James Bond. And then Daniel Craig is my favorite Bond of all time. So I have faith that they will do a good job. They have done an excellent job stewarding the James Bond franchise compared to like Star Wars or Star Trek or something like no kidding. James Bond has been taken care of excellently. Okay. So let me give you uh, my choices. Tom Hardy. I agree with you. If you want to stay in line with like the, the born identity style bond that gets into these kind of brutal fight scenes, Tom Hardy would obviously do a great job. I, and starting to, I didn't like this idea at the beginning, but I really could see, I could see Tom Hiddleston playing him. Yeah. I as can, like I a, can, as kind of more of a Pierce Brosnan style. Um, I had also read Killian Especially Murphy. Especially if they, if they put some, uh, if you get a little bit of bulk onto Hiddleston and let him like yeah. look a little bit more. Cause I mean, he's tall. He's like six one. So he actually probably looks most like James Bond where it's like this kind of lean build guy. Right. Um, yeah. With and like he's got enough, he's got the posh thing structure. going. He can right. do the posh thing really well. I could see that. Killian Murphy, maybe. Like, I could see that as well. He's such a good actor that it'd be... Bro, if they... You know, oh my god, dude. If they let Killian Murphy play James Bond, we already have to deal with these horrible, like, alpha male memes yeah. of, like, him at, from Peaky Blinders. <laughs> like, with just pictures of him smoking cigarettes with, like, quotes about lions not caring about lambs and shit. Dude, if every frame of him and james bond will be turned into one of those the incels are gonna have a field day (laughs) they will have a that is like oh man i don't know i don't know if you hate this this actor as much as like i feel like this is a this has become like the internet's guy to hate is henry cavill the guy who plays superman and uh like the witcher and I think he. I, I, I mean, think he's. I love him as a person. He's yeah. incredibly cool. Uh, yeah. He's into Warhammer 40k, so he's super tight with me. I think he is a good actor. I do think all those DC movies suck. I don't really blame him for that. Like, yeah. I, I personally think Superman's like kind of a shitty character. Period. I don't think it's. I think the reason people keep hating what those what that character comes out with is that like that character was written for the 1940s, and now that we demand like more complex characters from our superhero movies like superman is really hard to make work because he's effectively god and has no anything of interest he's like one dimensional um but i think henry cavill could do it yeah and looks wise he might not know who this guy is off the top of your head i i did not uh google uh jamie bell jamie bell this guy looks like what james bond would look like Okay, I know who this is. Uh, yeah. What's he been in that I've seen? I saw him in something uh, recently that I really liked. It said Snowpiercer, Rocket Man. It was Snowpiercer is definitely what I remember. Oh, and he was in Without Remorse. I get down with the Tom Clancy. And then the last name I'll give you is one that I do not think they will roll with, and he probably won't roll with it either, but uh, is is Dev Patel. Interesting. Phenomenal actor, but just not, I can't see him being James Bond. It would be uh, so it's interesting because he he can act his ass off. I don't know. That'd be so interesting because he could like, do it. He, he could, could do definitely it. do it. Like I, I could totally see it. I It'll be it'll be so interesting to see what direction they take it, because I really do think you could make almost anything work. You know, the other day, Cassie and I were going through all the Oceans movies and 
we got through 11, 12, 13, and then Ocean's 8. And Ocean's 8 is like my great example of like one of the few times they did one of those like gender reverse sequels and it, and it works really well. Like I thought that yeah. like they decided this was going to be an all-female Ocean's 11 instead of an all-male because, you know, the Ocean's 11 cast is all dudes. And right. Ocean's 8 is all chicks. And I thought it was awesome. Like I thought they, they, they held really well to like the formula that makes the Ocean's movies work. And so that kind of makes me think that you could you could change the character, what the character of James Bond looks like, and you could make it work. It just has to be that cannot be the focus of the film. Like it can't be the movie can't be like Indian James Bond is Indian. Look how Indian he is. It just has to right. be a really great James Bond movie. And James Bond happens to be this Indian guy. That'll right. totally work. Like, I think that was like the great downfall of that Ghostbusters movie they tried. It's like it's not that they had women in it like that's fine. It's just that that movie sucks. <laughs> so right. make a great Bond movie, pick whoever you want to be Bond who will do justice to that role. And I'm sure I will love it. Right. That's the best way that you can, you know, that you can expand representation is by like doing these actors a justice by writing a good film. Yeah. Because if you don't write a good film, then you're just going to, you're going to give fuel for the haters basically to just be like, see, this oh, yeah. is why we can't have this. Yeah, exactly. Though. So. Oh, and I just do a good job. De so Dev Patel, I didn't even realize he was in the Green Knight. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. I saw the trailer Dude, for it. The Green Knight is fire. Might be the best movie of the last year. Hi, really? Where, where do we it's stream that? So good. No free ads, but where do we stream that? Uh, only illegally at this <laughs> this time. I think it might be on Amazon Prime. I don't know. I stream okay, everything well, illegally. Again, no fr you know, no free ads. There you go. I download a I download a car, so you know. <laughs> Like, yeah, apparently. Well, I, I, I downloaded music and then it's just Bill Clinton, uh, a, a poor Bill Clinton impression telling me to use some website that will add even more viruses to my, <laughs> that's a, that, that's a LimeWire slash Napster reference for those of you that are paying attention or, or were born, you know, before. If you, if you destroyed your parents' computer with Kazaa, then you, you got that reference. Yeah. So let's do rankings or I, I not rankings, but ratings, ratings. uh, Give it to me. What do you think? Dude, I, I mean, obviously, again, we, we try to keep these ratings to, like, the genre they're in. And for me, like, James Bond movies are almost their own genre. Like, they're so right. iconic and they're so huge that they are – It's this is not a ranking of spy movies or action movies. To me, this is, like, how good of a James Bond movie is this? Um, and it's a 10. Like, this to me is the perfect James Bond movie. I wish every single James Bond movie that I saw made me feel the same way that this one did. Only a few have gotten close, Skyfall being one of them. I have seen this movie probably 20 times. It is definitely a movie I will watch into my late years in life. It is so perfectly done, and it made Craig my favorite Bond of all time. And that's as yeah. someone who grew up with a different Bond, which I think is a real testament. I think most people stick with the Bond that they know from their childhood when they get into James Bond. Right. Or um, they blindly grandpa, say Sean Connery because yes. like people say blindly say Michael Jordan. They think that's cool. Yeah. Like, you know, my grandfather, who's a big James Bond guy, he loves Sean Connery. Will never allow for anyone else to be James Bond. Pierce Brosnan really was James Bond to me. Maybe even more than the the movies, the video games. Like GoldenEye was just like the definitive video game of my generation mm -hmm. until like maybe Halo came out. Great pause um, music, dude. Yeah, that there's a big there. A meme went around today, and half the world is currently jamming to the GoldenEye pause music, which is a slap, dude. It is. Um, but but Daniel Craig literally be, he like when I think of James Bond in my head now like. It is Daniel Craig in a tuxedo. Probably the ending scene of this film. Dead guy on the floor. 
Daniel Craig, super dope three-piece suit, silenced MP5 on one shoulder, putting on the shades. That's James Bond to me. Hard to argue with any of that. I, uh, as far as Bond films, I'm going to give it, I mean, it's like a 9.8. I'm not going to give yeah. it a 10 because I want to leave room. I, I, sure. I, you know, there's a, there's a Bond film out there I haven't seen, right? Uh, Absolutely. I think you'll love it, dude. If you love, if you like this one, I think you'll love No Time to Die. I think this does a lot of things great. If I'm, again, when you get into the nine category for me, you start to open yourself up to like criticism that I wouldn't normally offer films that I of gave. Of course, like a you're going to get nitpicked when you're, yeah. I have to nitpick. And so there's like a few little things here and there. There's a few, like, it's a James Bond film. So a lot of my nitpicks are like, they tried to make something uber realistic and then it wasn't uber realistic. And I was like, well, that wouldn't happen. Like the perfect example is, you know, he's chasing the Vespers kidnappers and he's like right behind them. And then he goes over the hill and Vespers laying in the street tied up yeah oh yeah and like that, that like just throw, throw down some spikes dude and so like there's there's like five different things and i wish i had written them down actually you know what i'm glad i didn't write them down because i don't think it's fair to like in the podcast going through all the like little baby things that i thought they didn't do great on no it's look it's got it it does its job beautifully of being the origin film it's well acted it's very well directed it has great action it has great subtlety great like the lines are fantastic and the dialogue in general is phenomenal we 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 didn't do it a very good service by not getting into that but the the one overarching complaint i had is the kind of false ending which they did a good job of it, it runs a little long some of the pacing becomes a problem about three-fourths of the movie but yeah. you know overall it's it's so good. And it's one of those things where if somebody's watched like one Bond film before, or maybe two, or maybe none, like you could, sh you could sit them down for this and say, no, you're going to really enjoy this. And nine out of 10 people are going to love it. So absolutely. Um, absolutely. Now, as far as super, as far as uh, I keep want to say superhero films, as far as secret agent movies or uh, spy films, like it's pretty close to the top. I'm kind of more of a, of a, born guy i love the the quick paced information reveals and yeah everything once is you get into toes. spy movies it gets tough for me because i love like body of lies you know like yeah really such a good kind of yeah. heady spy movies uh james bond is not really a spy james bond is an assassin like they, yeah, they, they yeah. make it sound like he's a spy but james bond's not hacking into anyone's computer or you know whatever <laughs> trying to find out diplomatic stuff to make a trade deal work like that is not what james bond does it's effectively well, it's a spy and a secret hitman. agent I think a spy could be someone that works for the State Department that has a cover like, like in Moscow, like an analyst, they're a photographer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a secret agent is a uh, has no cover, and if they get caught, they get disavowed. That's yeah. probably what what the differentiator is. I think See, in real life, like secret agent is not a thing. Like that's not a like. I don't right. think anyone that works for the CIA would be like I was a secret agent in anything other than jest. You know, they you're you're a you could be an intelligence officer, you could be a CIA asset, like you could be a field officer of some kind, right. but I don't think anyone's actually a secret agent. Certainly not to the degree where they're like, here's your your <laughs> Aston Martin. <laughs> like, although who knows, I mean, maybe the British do it way cooler than us. I mean, this movie is not like, it's not the tuxedo with Jackie Chan, right? It's not the I Spy with Owen Wilson and Eddie Murphy. It's not on that tier, right? But yeah. it's a pretty good spy film. <laughs> it's, sure. it's, it's right there. It's right yeah. there. Oh, okay. My wife is yelling at me to come make dinner. So as always, folks, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you've liked what you heard, feel free to leave a like, maybe subscribe, maybe leave a comment, maybe leave a rating, which helps us climb the iTunes charts. As always, this has been Novel Discourse. I'm Andy Gatelli. And I'm Sam Clark. Thank you so much for listening.
take it easy. Later.